Well, welcome, Bubble Love listeners. It is the last week of Advent. It is almost Christmas. What a wonderful time of year. We are going to um, finish out our Advent blessings today from the book of Occasional Services. The Lord be with you. And also also with you. May the sun of righteousness shine upon you and scatter the darkness from before your path. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. 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 So we are picking back up with Ruth. If you didn't hear last week's episode with Greg Milliken, the overview, pause right now, go back and listen to that so you can get some larger framework for it, but then come right back because we have a special treat. This is one of the times when it's a friend of both Mary Balfour and myself. The Reverend Janie Wilson is rector of Church of Our Savior in Rock Hill, South Carolina. So that's Mary Balfour's diocese. That's my old diocese. And she, I think, Janie, you started working. You were called like a couple of weeks after I That's started. So I think we were new to the diocese together. Uh, little did we know what we were getting in for. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Janie. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. This is really fun for me. When I taught um, general studies and women's studies at Berea College, Ruth came up sometimes, which doesn't make me an expert in any way. It just means that I've loved walking through this book with students and learning from them about what they think, although none of them taught me what Greg taught us all last week. So that's pretty interesting. I thought since chapter one is our focus, and it's so short that I might just read, if that's okay, just read the chapter. And I am reading from the Jerusalem Bible, which sounds pretty familiar, but the book of Ruth, chapter one. In the days of the judges, famine came to the land, and a certain man from Bethlehem of Judah went, he and his wife and his two sons, to live in the country of Moab. The man was called Elimelech, his wife Naomi and his two sons, Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. They came to the country of Moab and settled there. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she and her two sons were left. These married Moabite women, one was named Orpah and the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. So she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that Yahweh had visited his people and given them food. So with her daughters-in-law, she came away from the place where she was living, and they took the road back to the land of Judah." I'm going to stop there for just a minute and point out a couple of things so that we don't just get swept away. Um, Brueggemann refers to this as a story. I mean, we just get pulled in right away. Well, Janie, I was thinking, I I feel like this is story time with Janie. First of all, your voice is so soothing. First, I was going to read along with you, and then I was like, nope, I'm just going to listen to story time with Janie. 
<laughs> you know, it's, it's really, um, I love to read. It's really fun to do that. And so when, when you read something in depth, and we're doing this, as you said, more in depth than some of the other chapters that we've gone through in this podcast, you can really pull it apart. So what's really interesting is in the beginning, all of the language centers around Elimelech. The sons are his, the wife is his. We presume the decision is his to go to Moab. That's the first thing. And by the end of the first paragraph, it's all about Naomi. It completely shifts and the possessive pronouns all become hers. These are now her daughters-in-law. She is the widow. And so we've got that going forward. Also with the fun of the story, and I know Greg mentioned this a little bit, but the names are for people to recognize, even if they aren't necessarily sure about the whole story. So when you're listening to a folk tale or a parable or something like that, um, names mean something. And so Malin means sickness and Chilean means pining away. And so right from the get-go, if you are a Hebrew-speaking person, ooh, they're not going to be in this book very long. You know, you can just kind of do that. Orpa has two meanings, she who turns away or back of the neck. So still, you know, turning, that sense of turning. Um, Ruth means the beloved. Naomi means my fair one, which is why later on when she changes her name, that's a complete 180, and we know that. Um, and then Elimelech is my God is king, which is pretty interesting because he decides to leave the land where God is over God's people and go to Moab, which has been the enemy for all this time. This is like, it's just, it's sort of, um, it's, it's sort of, what do you, what do you call the, not the Autobots, but the other guys, you know, it's right. Decepticons, that's it. It's like they're the Decepticons, right? So, um, so there's just, you get all of this right in the very first few sentences. The story is set up for you. So I just, I think that that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then going on, it's really interesting how she tells them to go back. And notice she doesn't say, go back to your father's home. All the years I've been reading this, I didn't pick up on this until this time. Mm. She says, go back to your mother's home. And there's precedent for that, of course. They um, Mothers have been making matches as long as mothers have been mothers. Mm-hmm. But to have the credit for it right here is really interesting. And it's one of the reasons why there's some speculation that this was written um, potentially by a woman or it was written to be kind of a subversive book in its own way to lift things up, to, to take what's expected and known and turn it on its ear. And of course, we know that Jesus does that all the time. So in a way, this is a really great connector looking forward to me that that is happening. Janie, so, let me ask you a question. I, that probably would have been really, I don't know, heretic language or something to say the mother, like that went against the grain sort of. unusual, Don't you think? Like, and I'm like you, thank you for pointing that out. I have, I have never thought about that. And Ruth is one of my favorite 
books of the Bible. Um, so again, it kind of gives to the bravery of Naomi, you know, and Ruth and Orpha and what they needed to do too, to be able to use right. that language. And, and you all talked a little bit about, you've talked about it before, what a woman is without men to protect, to stand for, to, to have that whole identity thing of women without men. Naomi is losing her identity completely at this point. And so she's the head of the family, but she has no status. She has no street cred. She probably has very little to work with in terms of, um, in, in terms of resources. And she doesn't want the girls to go and have to use sex for trade in order to live, which is the, the most basic way of doing that. But there's also, I read really interesting before we get into this, where she starts telling them to go back. There's some speculation that maybe she didn't want them to go back with her. She has to go back to the place where Moabites are Decepticons. So is she really going to want to walk home with this daughter-in-law that she doesn't have a son with anymore to take the flack for it? So when she says, no, you all go back, and it it occurs to me that it's a really jumbled mess for Naomi. She's bitter. She's sad. She's angry. She probably is worried about what it's going to look like to show up with them, but she also cares for them. So like every other human on the planet, all of these emotions are just coursing through her and she doesn't know what to do. Um, and so she does the only thing she has the imagination to do. And she tells them to go back to their mothers. And it's really interesting. Orpa makes her choice and Ruth makes hers. But nobody criticizes Orpa. Nobody says you made the wrong decision. Even by default, when Ruth comes shining through, Orpah is not, oh, she was a coward, so she went home. There's no language about that, that she did what was expected. But I think that's what makes Ruth so stunning in her loyalty and in her love, in the hesed she shows for Naomi. It's extraordinary. And how often do we have that kind of courage to stand up against what's expected and what's known? It's rare. We talked last week about how important the book of Ruth is, especially for the queer community. But I'm thinking now, like how important it is for the widowed community, for the daughter community, for the mother community, you know, just, how many different communities this book of Ruth can people can really like see themselves and be a part of and, and, and feel connected in that way. And what a gift that is. Um, because yes. I feel like yes. sometimes we don't have that. Well, and the commentary talks about how this story, even without the knowledge of what the names mean, this story pulls us right in. Yeah. So, do you want me to read a little bit more? Or do you want to talk more? Yeah, read a little more. Read a little more. All right. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to her mother's house. May Yahweh be kind to you as you have been to those who have died and to me. 
Yahweh grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of a husband. And she kissed them. But they wept aloud and said to her, No, we will go back with you to your people. And Naomi said, You must return, my daughters. Why come with me? Have I any more sons in my womb to make husbands for you? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old now to marry again. Even if I said there is still hope for me, even if I were to have a husband this very night and bear sons, would you be prepared to wait until they were grown up? Would you refuse to marry for this? No, my daughters. I should then be deeply grieved for you, for the hand of Yahweh has been raised against me. And once more they started to weep aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and went back to her people. But Ruth clung to her. Naomi said to her, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. You must return to follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you and to turn back from your company. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh do this thing to me, and more also, if even death should come between us. So, more stories awesome. from Janie. No. Um, we named the episode that, Alan, Storytime with Janie. <laughs> um, so, okay, I totally agree with you that um, I'm glad Orpha is not judged in that way. But the other thing that when you're reading that like really resonated with me is um, the humanness of the, of their weeping of their willing to like let go of their emotion and just be present with each other. And that was really, really beautiful to me. Um, and I hadn't thought about that before because I think our minds go immediately to where you go, I will go, you know, where you dialed that. I mean, I'm doing an, another wedding in January and someone just said, this is the verse that I want. And, and that's great because I, I understand that makes them feel connected in that way. But to me, it's this humanness of let's be together in this and it's, way. It's even more strong. The new interpreter, new interpreters Bible commentary talks about how in the Hebrew, there's not the future tense that we're used to where you go. I will go that it's just where you go. I go. Mm-hmm. Where you die, I die. Where you, it is, it is in the, in the Hebrew, Ruth is saying it right now. Like it's already a thing. It is already their relationship. And, and I think you can see in what Naomi says too, they've been good wives. They've been good daughters-in-law. They have worked as a team. They have built this relationship um, with men who apparently weren't very healthy. And so, you know, when you're, when you're doing that caregiving together, it's really bonding. So whatever the relationship was, we know it was close. We know it was bonded. And I just, I find just changing the tense on that changes that whole thing that Ruth says for me. Mm. Just like, no, I'm already here. I'm already doing this. Mm. All right, Alan, I want to hear your thoughts because we've had the two female voices on this. Yes. All right. The Bible. No, I mean, there's plenty of the Bible that's all male in which I can talk. But no. 
<laughs> um, couple things, and we'll actually get to the mail part because that's important. Um, there's something I picked up on because I never the word the thing that stuck out to me is that this happens in Bethlehem, and that had never occurred to me. And this week of all weeks, we're paying close mm-hmm. attention to what happens in Bethlehem. And right yeah. at the end of the chapter, you know, when Naomi says, you know, call me bitterness, she says the Magnificat. She says, the Almighty has not done great things for me, but has dealt bitterly with me. Not the rich has sent empty away, but I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. Right. These are echoes, precursors to me of the Magnificat, obviously. And I think there's probably tradition and history that says that as well. Um, So that strikes me. We just read the Magnificat the other day um, in church. But to me, what I think of is when we have a woman who's childless, right, in the area of Bethlehem, completely vulnerable, and a kinsman redeemer. Now we're jumping ahead like to the second and third chapters, mm-hmm. right? This is Joseph. Mm-hmm. Joseph would have known this story. And so I wonder, right, like we don't get a lot of Joseph in the church, which is great disservice, I think. Um, yeah, we don't get a lot of screen time. I totally but, agree. No, I mean, we talk a lot about what Mary was wrestling with and Mary's conversation with Elizabeth and all this stuff from this past Sunday. Joseph was wrestling with some things and he had a decision to make. And maybe he could have made the decision Orpah made. And just let Mary go away quietly. And no one would have judged him. Yeah. Um, he made the choice that Ruth made um, to be a part of, of Mary and to be a kinsman, to be part of that lineage. Um, so that's what it has me thinking of is those difficult decisions that Orpah and Ruth had to make, the difficult decision Naomi had to make, that Mary had to make, Joseph had to make, and that... Sometimes we just have to make decisions, right? And there's not a right or a wrong. It's just the one we, we make. Yeah. Um, and we get, I get so twisted up in knots that like, I'm going to choose this thing and it's going to screw everything up, right? Mm-hmm. That presumes that God actually hasn't mapped out every single decision. Mm-hmm. Like Dr. Strange, you know, I've seen a thousand possible realities mm-hmm. and know how they're all going to work out. God knows all that, right? So it's not like mm-hmm. my choice is going to screw things up. But it's stories like this where we see that Orpah's held up. Is Orpah just, no one judged her. And Naomi and Ruth chose another thing, and, and God's there too. Yeah, well, and I, I think that connection also that you're making between the Old Testament and the New Testament is super, super important. Um, we've talked about this a lot, or I have. Like, I think we can just take the Old Testament and be like, eh. Let me get to the Jesus part. You know, I think we are doing the Old Testament a disservice. If we're not thinking just like you were thinking, Alan, of where do I see these connections? They are so important to make. And I've really been trying to do that during Advent. I've only preached on the Old Testament. And um, that's been a real challenge for me. And probably without Bible love, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but, I, but I can see what you're talking about, those connections that are so clearly there, not just fulfilling the prophecies, but just exactly what you're talking about. See, I mean, Mary, the fact that. Mary, when she burst into song, what's going around in her mind is scripture that she knows. And she knows the story of Ruth. And she knows, oh, there's this person that felt empty and the Lord was trying to fill. She knew this person that was dealt bitterly with. And so when she wanted to burst into joyful song, she flipped the story of Ruth on its head. Right. She took Naomi's song and was like, no, God has something different in mind. 
And so I'm going to reframe this. That's how I, you know. Well, and it goes back to the Santana, which that was that way too, but you're exactly right. But even now, Naomi doesn't get it. Right. Even now, Naomi is so wrapped up in her bitterness that even when Ruth says these beautiful words, she's like most of us in a conversation. I feel like Naomi is waiting for Ruth to stop talking so she can just interject again. But then it says that she doesn't have anything to say. There's nowhere to go against this wall of love. There's nowhere to go. And so... um you know, and, and it's, and it's pretty interesting because going on, she says, we'll, we'll finish up story time with Janie. Take it, take us home, Janie. Seeing that she was determined to go with her, Naomi said no more. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Their arrival there set the whole town astir. And the women said, can this be Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for Shaddai has marred me bitterly. Filled full, I departed. Yahweh brings me back empty. Why call me Naomi then, since Yahweh has given witness against me and Shaddai has afflicted me? This was how Naomi, she who returned from the country of Moab, came back with Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, right off the bat, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Because this happened to me today, I was talking to a parishioner who is like two years into an illness, and it's just not like getting better. And I, I think his his faith is really, he's having a hard time holding up his faith. Right. And that kind of feels like where Naomi is in this moment. Right. And I think I kind of shocked him when I was like, I probably would feel that same way too. And he was like, what? You would? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm a human being two years of the same thing. Right. Like our faith weans. And, and here Naomi's doing the same thing. She's even saying, change my name. Right. I mean, is that how you think she felt, Jamie? I think so. Um, well, I know, I'm I'm sure she did. I mean, how traumatic is it when we lose one person we love, much less three? Right. I mean, I know how it feels. Think about this, Alan. Someday your children will go away to school or live on their own. Right now, you can't wait. And the emptiness when they actually go is something else indeed. And so, and this was a, a permanent departure. Um, and so, but I think... I think what's really interesting about this part is Naomi doesn't have anything else to say to Ruth, but Ruth doesn't speak again at the Mm. end of the chapter. She shows up being dragged along, tagged as the Moabitess, um, you know, and, and she doesn't even say, and then it's also very important because it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And Alan, all those things you were saying about it being Bethlehem is so important because the land of bread, well, the land of bread had a famine. That's why they left. So all the, already that's ironic. She's coming back empty. She was empty when she left. They were hungry. They left because they were hungry. Um, but there's something in Naomi here as she pushes God away that is doing something that we all do. She feels in part that they're leaving where they were was walking away from God. And this is the result. 
Mm. So when she says Yahweh has given witness against me and Shaddai has afflicted me, she wants to blame God, but there's just this kind of bravado about it. There's this, well, I, I don't know about that, but this is God's fault. I, yeah, I didn't. And so, and then here's Ruth just standing there. And of course, they're all shocked to see her come back with someone from Moab. And so, and it's the beginning of the barley harvest. So what will happen? No. No, it just leaves us hanging for us. And I'll have to talk about that next week. Yeah, you will. You will. I I mean, the, the amount of emotions in this one chapter feels really overwhelming, right? The amount of emotions these women had, the, the courage, the willingness to go completely against the grain, their own hunger, their own, like, I mean, I'm just kind of like, it's so much packed in these, what, 22 verses. I mean, we get get caught up in the humanity of it. We -hmm. get caught up in the, that could be my story piece of it. You know, there's a lot of criticism out there that God doesn't really show up at all in the book of Ruth. Why, why is this even in scripture? Naomi's the main character. I'm going to say to you, and I didn't find anything to actually defend this. I found things moving toward it. I think God is the main character. Mm -hmm. I think Ruth's has said for Naomi, that love, that faithfulness, that willingness to stay when we tell, when we push away, God hasn't left Naomi when she's feeling this way any more than God has left your parishioner. We push away because that human response is, well, this isn't going my way, so God must not be here. Again, really human. But what we see in the character of Ruth, who doesn't say a whole lot after this amazing, passionate speech, but she walks the talk. She follows Naomi's advice coming up, not to, not to break that into that too much, but everything she does in this book to me shows the way God loves. And I think to me, that's the center of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for putting that together too, because I do think we can really go towards the humanness of it all. But the reminder that God is always the main character, God is always the center of the story, is exactly what we need to remember to carry us through at all times. Oh, my gosh. I love story time with Janie. That's my favorite thing this week so far. Um, Janie knows this, but Janie is a really important person to both Alan and I. And we love you very much. We've been wanting you to be on this for a long time. So I think it worked out exactly how it was supposed to, to be talking about the book of Ruth. Listeners, as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does. 